What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. It's very difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a movie that we've podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts on a recent release. I'm Keith Phipps, here again with... Tosh Robinson. And Scott Tobias. And for this horrifying double feature, we have once again subbed in Katie Reif for Genevieve Kosky. Hi, Katie. Hi, so happy to be back. You uh, survived I'll, I'll... last week, but will you survive this week? It's a slow... <laughs> this, is, this is a slow burn uh, <laughs> horror murder podcast. Oh, we spend no. a lot of time introducing these characters. We've been around for, for years now, introducing <laughs> ourselves as characters, but we all die by the end of this episode. Spoiler! So, <laughs> so speaking of last week's episode, we talked about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Toby Hooper's 1974 shocker about a massacre in Texas with a chainsaw. This week, we're turning our attention to X, a Thai West horror film very much inspired by Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and with its killer alligator, also inspired by Hooper's next film, the lesser-known Eaten Alive, which also co-stars Marilyn Burns. Uh, X is set in as the 1970s are threatening to turn into the 1980s. Its protagonists, a fivesome intent on making a pornographic movie called The Farmer's Daughters, are breathing the last gasps of porno chic before home video and a tide of cultural and religious conservatism would end it. They've chosen the wrong place to shoot, too, thanks to the elderly owners of the property they've rented, both of whom take an intense interest in what they're up to, an interest tied to the couple's own sexual urges in ways that seem at odds with the TV preacher railing against perversity on their television. Sex and death, which will win? Or is that framework too simplistic? There's a lot going on here. We'll talk it over after the break. daughter take one i need to be famous wayne all the best people are there ain't nobody else out there like you you know why why because you got that x factor that day's a struggle and may soon be over hollywood here we go i just want me oh this is it 
Our own studio backlog. I'm looking for a place to stay. Oh, yes, sir. That's one ugly song, bitch. And my wife, Pearl, is next door. So I would appreciate a little discretion. I just he don't know what we're doing, does he? Well, it's better to beg for forgiveness and ask for permission. Would you like to come inside? Much obliged. I want to be in the movie. Well, you can't. The story can't just change midway through. If Daddy catches us, there's no telling what he might do. My wife is not well. It happens after dark. Inside. What do you think is on it? I see one goddamn fucked up horror picture. All right, X. There is a lot to unpack here. Uh, what, first of all, let's put everyone think of X. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I think it's a really clever film uh, that obviously you know evokes the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but does just tweaks it in so many different little meaningful ways. Um, starting with the time period, starting with as you su- suggest in the the intro, you know this sort of onset of conservatism, televangelism, you know, in, in the, the way that is mingled with. Uh, violence and sex and that kind of clash that is that's being set up as the 70s turn into the 80s uh, just i mean even and there's so many like little touches in the film that i like to the uh um the, the just from the beginning just the oil refineries you know of houston just the choosing the types the, the types of choices that he makes ty west in this film are just fascinating and, and uh you know a, a kind of a film lover's delight i mean you you mentioned eaten alive which i'd not seen but i mean I, of course you know he would do, he would be this the sort of person to bring that up because this is the director of the house of the devil and the innkeepers and he he, know, he knows his uh his stuff so i i appreciated that and i appreciate the humor of the film and the sexuality of the film of course is present in a way that is uh, an interesting contrast with the texas chainsaw massacre as well and uh and there's an interesting psychology i think there's a lot going on here so i i'm just gonna say in broad strokes i, I did think it was quite a good movie can't believe you liked this film, Scott, given the amount of violence is in it. Yeah, we all know how you abhor screen <laughs> I violence. I know. I've made an exception in this case. I thought it was Ty West's best movie since The House of the Devil, actually. Yeah. Um, he's, put, he's put out a few in the meantime, but none of them really had the sense of purpose that this one did. I liked the way all the elements that it put into it and how to synthesize them. And I actually like the craft of the movie. I thought there were a lot of really like cool, interesting shots. And we talked about the sound design of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre last episode. I like the sound design in this film, too. Well, here we go. 
So here's the thing for me about this movie. I was very impressed with the craft of it. I was very impressed with the character building. I thought that these were were really interesting people and that they were drawn in interesting ways. I think it's taut and tense and just like well handled and well directed in so many ways. It's a really well crafted piece of cinema. I found it so dispiriting. And a lot of that comes from the messaging, which is basically old people are monsters, which is a message that we've seen a bunch recently in in horror movies like Relic and and The Visit to some degree. Just the idea that fundamentally the act of aging turns you into a monster. And here it's so exaggerated. It's so over the top in what I I feel like Ty West is like this close to an actual like resonant idea about the disappointments we experience in life and what they do to us. But the fact that his his idea of old people is people under like grotesquery makeup is just kind of tiring to me. And as soon as the deaths start in this, this is another slow burn that that takes a long time leading up to the first death. And then after that, you just kind of know that the rest of it is like a, a downhill ride waiting for all of these people that you've come to know to come to nothing, you know, to to become sacks of wet meat. And more so than than most horror movies lately, I just found it kind of exhausting and and kind of miserableist personally. So, but Tasha, do you you did not feel like there was uh, some dimension to the old woman in this film? Just, I mean, I feel like her desire, her sexual interest, you know, is such an interesting animating force in this in this movie, and and kind of brings it and sort of ties into what is happening, you know, kind of across across the way that it's it's not really for her necessarily about about punishing these sinful young people but there is kind of a a desire a, you know envy i guess the, of of lost youth of of the fact that she doesn't feel like she can have that you know she has a sexuality that can't be accessed anymore or isn't isn't really paid attention to i just i felt like there was like a little bit more to that character than than you might you know expect I think that there is, and I think it it's an interesting nuance that certainly takes the usual association of sex and death in horror movies several levels up from, you know, Jason is angry at camp counselors for having sex and like thus not being available to to stop him from drowning. Therefore, he kills camp, camp counselors who have sex. Yeah, there's more of a, a personal um, motivation here. There's more dimension to it. But so much of the way it plays out in the movie is just kind of about making the idea of older people having sex repulsive, physically repulsive uh, to watch. And the movie makes grueling horror out of the naked bodies of, of older people, mostly by monsterizing them. You know, I like I, I go to a gym. I see old naked people all the time. I'm turning into slowly but surely an old naked person at the gym myself. And people aren't that gross. You know, it's it's possible to have like saggy skin and, and drooping breasts without looking like mushrooms have been growing on you for 20 years in the ducky wallpaper. It's a horror film. Yeah, though. I was, was going to say. May I say? I think that Tasha is onto something in that I think that the choice of the gimmick with the prosthetics to have the dual, I, I, can I spoil things? Yeah, let's spoil it. Yeah, we spoil this. Dual casting. The old woman is played by Mia Goth in old woman makeup. And I think that that is the Achilles heel of the film for two reasons. Hmm. One, because it is just 
the way that the makeup looks, you have an uncanny valley effect that makes it infinitely more disgusting than if you had an older actress playing the part. Absolutely. It makes the movie contradict itself because it's very sex positive. It's very like, yeah, no, sexual repression is is the thing that drives people to, you know, kill and hate. But at the same time, look at these gross old people having sex. And I think that the choice of using the prosthetics is what tanks that. Absolutely. And to to just like to bring that a little more full circle, uh, Keith and Scott, you got to pick one. You can either have like this is resonant because it's it's real, like it's it's real for people to to get old and be alienated from their bodies or to get old and not be considered beautiful anymore or to get old and have sexual feelings that maybe other people can't respond to or don't respond to in the same way. You can point out the fact that that is all real and resonant but then you say it's okay for the the old people to have completely unrealistic bodies because this is a horror movie to me you can't have both of those things at once you have to pick one either this is a, a good and powerful and strong and and thoughtful like image and exploration of the horrors of aging or it's a cartoony film where people made out of latex are gross but you, you can't put both of those together and make it work yeah, I don't know. Uh, to me, I, I, a lot of it's kind of tied up in, in this idea of hypocrisy, too, though. I mean, these are, as I mentioned in, in the intro, these these are characters that have the televangelist on at all times. The husband certainly is feels you know eager to judge his you know, his tenants or whatever you want to call them, but they're both really fascinated by what's going on, and they have a sexual element to themselves that they they kind of you know would be hypocritical to condemn these younger people for it when when it's in them as well i i i know what you're saying uh, about it being sort of intentionally uh, grotesque looking uh it, to me it 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 worked within the film i'm not sure it's necessarily the strongest element of the film but but uh it's it's it works uh, for me yeah i just think that, i think you just it just gives the sort of monsters of this film just a little bit of a human element to them and I, so I, I didn't feel like I didn't really think about it in terms of this sort of binary, I suppose, in terms of how they look and how the, how they're kind of, you know, these grotesque, you know, monsters. I just thought like, this is interesting. <laughs> you know, this is, this has got, this is a film that doesn't necessarily have to give you any reason to have a different feat to, to, to be thinking about any of the stuff that it makes you think about with regard to this woman, especially it could just be about generational hostility and uh and you know the the old the old religious people from from texas taking it out on taking it out on these dirty young people it could have just been simply that and it isn't that it's a little bit different than that it's a little got a little bit more going on and it, and it gives certain scenes a kind of a haunting quality to them you know when she when she's kind of you know slipping into into bed i guess with with one of the you know the lead character for example you know when she's just you know when the old woman is kind of just gazing and and, and looking at young bodies and and you know in the way in the way she's kind of interacting with her husband and, and the kind of needs that she's expressing again i mean i just don't think any of that stuff is either expected or necessary or things that you are you know it's not not something you would would think would be in a in a film like 
like uh, like this and it is and so it just gives you another kind of layer to kind of peel away at here how does your calculus uh take in the fact that this whole thing is actually a setup for a prequel which we get the kind of trailer for as a post-credit scene that's the, <laughs> I, the, I didn't know there was a post-credit scene there's I, a post-credit scene yeah. that's they setting up it. yeah the movie pearl done which is Goth again playing the young version of the this woman like back in the 1920s i want to say I, were you were you earlier. unaware that he had already declared it to be a franchise no I, yeah i was on i was completely unaware so this is uh, all a surprise they announced it at south by at the premiere at the q a that's that wild. It's already I'm... done. They filmed it at the same time. Good old old school B movie technique. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, this is going to be. It's like it's like Back to the, Back to the Future two and three. Yeah, this <laughs> is going to be. Uh, right or or prequel you may as well make it while you're already over in um, New Zealand, <laughs> which is stubs in for Texas for this. Yes, but, there is. Yes. I think I think much more effectively than in Bulgaria. But I did a whole piece. At the reveal, the newsletter Scott and I run uh, www.thereal.substack.com, uh, where, uh, yes. where you know as to which which countries work better than others. I actually like New Zealand for the old West or the West. Yeah, I, I would, guess, I, would have, I would not have. I, you know, I mean, whereas we're in Power of the Dog, it's like, yeah, that's not Montana. <laughs> you, you could definitely see look at this film and say, okay, that's Texas. I'll take that. Something that I thought was interesting that Ty West was doing in this movie too is he he has a lot of shots where he creates. A horizon line like you know there will be a lot in the frame but he'll create a line about three quarters of the way down the frame like a horizontal line to suggest like a big wide open horizon and i think that's such an interesting way of working with the fact that you're not in texas with huge wide mm. open horizons creating one artificially with the framing i thought that was really cool there's oh, some that's beautiful shots in this film i love the shot of goth and and overall it's kind of hanging out by the lake with pearl uh, presumably a, a a double uh behind her and, and her hair is kind of like you know has like this kind of halo effect behind it the aerial shot of Mia Goss character swimming with the with the alligator it's wonderful Incredible. stuff even before the alligator comes in it's just kind of a really striking image too it's it's, it's there's, there's real art to this this film even before she gets into the lake there's that moment where she stands on the pier and and strips and what could have been a, a fairly gratuitous like full frontal shot is instead shot very much like the the lake scenes in Friday the 13th you know you're you've pulled very very far out and you're just kind of taking in the the deep green of the trees and like the darker green of the lake i mean and Mia Goth's body is just this this tiny little white matchstick in all this green and it's just completely like swallowed up by nature it's that's that alone i think is a pretty incredible shot yeah it's interesting that you think that it adds something to because i thought the basics of the point that the movie was trying to make about hypocrisy and establishing that the reason that these two old people hate these freewheeling young people on their property and by extension the reason that kind of uptight square evangelical types hate hippies basically is because they're jealous is because they want to live that life but mm. but they can't they're in a prison of their own making and that's why they hate them so much i thought that was solid but then all the grotesque stuff complicated that in a way that i felt like undermined the point i don't know i i know i'm right there with you i i feel like these are all 
like really resonant ideas. And I, I feel like that there is a, a really strong element of, of true life horror in the idea of like looking around yourself and realizing you wanted certain things when you were young and you felt entitled to them and they never happened. And now you're stuck where you are and you're stuck who you are. I think that that's a real horror idea that could have been done very smartly. And by exaggerating it and boulderizing it so much and turning it into uh, like, ew, look at their bodies and they're old people and they're having sex, like a kind of I don't know, schoolyard giggling over that whole thing with like Mia Goth hiding under the bed, just like looking like somebody's force feeding her maggots because these old people are are having sex. All of that just felt hmm. so over the top. And it also kind of complicates her character's own arc because her character's own arc is so much about what she wants and what she feels she deserves. I just I think there's something really smart there in comparing this like young up and comer who's arrogant and full of herself and this old woman played by the same actress who was like that once and is now furious to see somebody else like her who has the chances that she herself squandered. Like all of that is so smart. I want it to be done better and in a less like comically ew gross kind of way. Yeah. Well, what if it's not just old people having sex or gross, but the, these monstrous old murderous people having sex is gross. <laughs> I guess I didn't, I didn't feel like that. Out. I didn't feel, I mean, we seem to be focusing, I guess, on the, on the sex scene that finally does happen between the older people here. And, and I didn't, I guess I didn't find it to be played for laughs or, uh, you know, at all. I mean, there, there, there was definitely kind of a, an inelegance to it, but also a certain amount of like, I mean, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of passion between the two of them. And, and, uh, and, and as far as Mia Goth under the bed, I mean, I guess she's a, a little bit grossed out, but she's probably pretty scared. I mean, given that he, they, these people have mur murdered her friends. I mean, I, it, it just it, it seemed uh, I, I didn't feel like the, the tone of the film went awry at that moment. Uh, um, but uh, but in a, in as far as just like the look of the of the characters, I just kind of chalk that up to the genre. I mean, I, just, I feel like we're that's we're in the horror genre. And this is kind of the you know, that kind of exaggerated look is, you know, it's a choice, but it's a choice that, that also, you know, uh, Toby Hooper makes as well. I mean, they're, you know, you know the, the grandpa character and that certainly does not resemble he, he more. You know, he resembles humans a whole lot less than uh, than the characters in, in X. I think about that. Yeah, that's kind of a Texas Chainsaw uh, reference, isn't it? I can His see grandpa that. Is so we, similar. So we need to get to connections, but I don't think we're quite done with X. But we also need to take a quick break, which we're going to do right now. And then we will be right back for a little bit more talk about X. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I've seen you sneaking a few long peeks at Jackson over here. No, I, I wasn't okay. looking. You don't mind none. She's right. I don't mind. No offense. Everybody likes sex. It's a guess. We're just not afraid to admit it. Queer, straight, black, white. It's all disco. You know why? 
because one day we're gonna be too old to fuck. And life's too short, if you ask me. Well, I'll do that. The fact of the truth of the matter is, we turn folks on. And that scares them. And they can't look away neither. That's right. We're like a foxy car wreck. <laughs> so with X, one thing we haven't talked about is not to get into comparisons too early, but but like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there's a lot of time spent with these characters before the, the killing starts. And we spend a lot of time with them as they have a very particular task, which is making a film, a pornographic film called The Farmer's Daughters. And everyone's kind of there for a different reason. Everyone wants a little something different out of it. Everyone has kind of different attitudes towards what it's about. There's a lot of time with this. What, is, what does it mean? But also, before we get to that, bonus question, who can tell me the most famous star of the actual pornographic film called The Farmer's Daughters? Wow. Not it. If you don't know it, you're not going to guess it. It is uh, acclaimed monologist uh, Spalding Gray. Um, <laughs> look it up. Oh, right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Anyway, the farmer's daughter. Yes, yes. Dang, I should have. I, I, I really should have thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't yeah, know. I forgot about. I forgot about that little it, line item in his career. Haven't seen it. Don't know anything about it beyond the fact that Spalding Gray is in it. It is actually. It is definitely a porn film. Okay. Well, to put it, to try and put this tactfully, does he perform? I say let's do a bonus episode. <laughs> How very very relevant to the moment. How old was he at the time? I believe this is late seventies, so it's roughly. I, this may be a conscious homage to uh, to that that film, but again, haven't seen it. Couldn't say. Um, but. What does this film have to say about pornography and sex and, and, and how it all fit into the, the 1970s? I mean, I kind of love the whole idea that we're building on here about how this was a very, very specific moment in time where is it Debbie Does Dallas that he references at mm -hmm. one point? Yep. There's just this idea that, you know, a bunch of people with a camera that are willing to, like, pull it out and put it on a bed uh, in front of that camera could possibly make a ton of money. And by a ton of money, I mean, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for, uh, like, little to no uh, actual outlay. Yeah, yeah, kind of an, an era before, like, uh, home video, an era before the internet before like wide availability of of porn just this idea that this is this is how you maybe not only make money but get like legit famous it, it's it, i think a really fun part of the movie one of the characters makes reference to when we put this out on video we're going to make a ton of money so they're fully planning to put it out on home video which is you know is part of the whole turn of the decade thing that this movie has going on that i thought was cool and i felt like in in not in a very clearly um focused kind of way but i thought it was interesting how this movie kept bringing up you know mia goth's character i'm paraphrasing her mantra but it's something along this like i will not accept a life that i do not deserve and there's this whole there's like this very like individualist american dream kind of aspect running through this film where making this porn is their american dream they're trying to make it you know they're trying to be famous and rich some of them i think <laughs> uh, you know right i mean like so uh, yeah there there um, there are different levels of ambition here but the, but but i mean i i did appreciate how much time is spent individualizing them as this film does and kind of getting a sense of like oh the director or whatever this young guy he wants to make 
you know, this is his ticket to make real movies. And the, and the sound person, you know, she has her ambitions too. And those are revealed and are, are quite startling in their way. And, but, but I think you also have a couple of characters like the, the lead, the, like the, the male lead and the, and uh, Brittany Snow's characters. It's like, we're just porn actors. <laughs> we're, out, we're out here doing a job. I don't think there's a whole lot of complicated motivations there, but they don't need to be. I mean, there's a nice dynamic there between all of these characters. Brittany Snow does reference like how she's going to live comfortably and be rich off of these porno movies and, yeah. and she also just kind of makes the the point that like more or less god gave her these assets and and there are people out there that are going to pay money to see them and she doesn't want to disappoint them which you know maybe a little bit of a rationalization or uh just like a humorous philosophy but there is the free willing like free love aspect that we've been talking about kind of plays into that idea of just like i'd be letting the people down if i didn't let them see this i mean look at what i've got to offer Whereas Kid Cootie's character, uh, Jackson, the male lead you referenced, part of his thing seems to be just he feels he's so good at sex that like he deserves to be paid money for it. He deserves to be famous for it. (laughs) There's like a kind of joyous arrogance in his his coxmanship, basically. His his just (laughs) feeling that like, you know, of course, I'm I'm so good at this that people should be throwing money at me. Um, did anybody else find sort of RJ, the director of The Farmer's Daughter, as sort of a stand-in for Ty West for the director of X? Hmm. Kind of. I mean, they they don't they don't look dissimilar. Do they? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, and just the idea of like this could be a real movie. People say that about horror films too. Oh, for sure. It just needs to be artful. We just we need to bring in French techniques. Like we need to to respect the new wave. And then you have those scene cuts that are like so stylized essentially where you you cut from one one place to another and then back and forth rapidly several times to like give you the conscious knowledge that you're switching places or switching times like there's there are like little bits of artful uh, artificiality to this movie where i can practically hear him in the editing room saying like no we're gonna respect the french new wave here that said but he also has to be told like it might be more interesting to pan up from the gas pump that. or whatever it's like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> different shot. that's 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 britney snow who who gives him that advice right right yep. right so, so yeah I'm, just as, yeah. as somebody who's seasoned has done 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 movies it's like you know what what if you do this shot, which is better than the shot that you had in mind, Mister Film Artiste? <laughs> you know, maybe that's going to be that, that's going to be give you a better effect, and 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 it does. So there's something. There's, I love that contrast between you know the self styled artist and, and and the kind of the old pro. I mean, they all come across as a, a little hungry and very willing to to put it out there and not taking sex too seriously for the most part which is what makes yeah. Jenna Ortega's character so interesting because she starts as such a contrast to them and then just watching what they do kind of comes around on the whole idea that no no does sex is sex is probably good and fun and an okay thing to do with whoever and an okay thing to put on film for people to enjoy like why wouldn't i want to do that yeah, it's just a twist in the film, you know, which 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 really does kind of you know examine attitudes towards sex from a lot of different angles. Or her hers included. She's because she does not. She certainly does not come into this shoot from the perspective of uh, that's anywhere close to the other characters. Certainly, the producer and, and the and the and the people who have actually been in pornographic films before, they they're already in it. But uh, but she's pretty primly dressed. She's wearing a she's got a cross necklace, and you know, I mean, there's kind of like a a, a wincing of sorts at the beginning toward uh, the things that are being 
sad and you know she, as you say she gets into it and and uh things change and then of course that you know inspires a, a very different response from the young your boyfriend right boyfriend right or boyfriend who's filming mm-hmm. who's filming the movie and now now he's like oh this is this is horrible for him i mean this is not now now he's going off and and um you know storming off the sad and you know which of course gets him into all kinds of uh, other trouble uh, you know, I feel and I feel like those things are connected, that that jealousy that he starts to feel, that hostility starts to feel toward her uh, leading right into uh, to him heading into danger. It fits in with the film's larger theme of hypocrisy, you know, like sexual hypocrisy. And, um, you know, I really appreciate how every character, like you were saying, came at it slightly differently. I think for me, the one thing about this film that I would criticize is that I wish it came together in a way that I felt like. I don't know. I was a little conflicted because on the one hand, I walked out of this movie being like, thank God it didn't hate us so hard over the head with the themes as say like relic, which we talked about earlier. There's no way you can misinterpret what the capital T theme of that movie is. But with X, it was a little bit more ambiguous, which I thought was a really strong point of the film and also one of the weaker parts of it. I, I honestly thought that this film did hit the theme a little too hard. Like the the reference that Keith was making in part one of this conversation about the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like hitting the same thing over and over in every line. I really feel like every time we see the the old lady version, Pearl of uh, Mia Goth, she says something about how this this isn't what she wanted and she was beautiful and desired once. Like there are a handful of variants on the theme. But it seems like that's 90% of what she says. And I, I got a little tired of hearing it. I was like, I got it. I got it. I know. That's funny because the part I thought was hitting it a little too hard was when all the the cast and crew of the Farmer's Daughters are sitting in the cabin talking about sexual freedom. I was like, okay, all right, you're laying it all out here. Okay. <laughs> I, I think what makes that work instead of it just being, I don't know, an interlude for attractive people to talk about sex in a lurid way Two things. One is that is the scene where Jenna Ortega's character, Lorraine, comes around and changes her mind, which I think is really interesting. And which also complicates the horror movie dynamic because she's the natural person to be the the final girl, given the dynamics of horror movies and anybody who has sex dies. And how rapidly we go from like, she's the the virginal tucked in character who would traditionally survive a horror movie to no, she's jumping on the same boat as everybody else. Uh we're we're back to yeah, how are how are we possibly going to calculate this? But the other thing is that uh, I kind of got a kick out of that scene because it reminds me so much of the relevant scene in The Cabin in the Woods, which is a, an all-time favorite movie of mine, which also features a bunch of people sitting around in a cabin, you know, kind of like talking about who they are and, and how they feel about topics, including sexuality, you know, featuring a, a woman performing a, a lascivious act on a, a wolf head mounted on the wall. So I feel like I don't know if there's if there's references going on there or it's just it all just goes back to Evil Dead and that cabin in the woods or what. But uh, that that scene played pretty well for me. Uh, Kid Cootie playing the guitar and uh, Britney Snow singing, I think, is also a nice touch there. Mm-hmm. Nice musical interlude. I liked the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, another another kind of Ty West hallmark. I think Keith just on Twitter today was referencing the the fix sequence in uh, the House of the Devil, where, where she's bouncing around the the house uh, to uh, one thing leads to another, and you know she doesn't know anything that's going on. But we're we're like she's 
this is horrible. Like every room, she's just kind of mm-hmm. opening up and kind of looking through and just sort of bouncing around. It's like, oh my God, she's just like dancing right on the precipice of, of know, a cliff. I, and I'd actually forgotten that scene. No, I was actually literally t- trying out earbuds <laughs> with uh, with uh, alone in the house by myself. Oh, you were so, sort of like, you know, trying to, it was like a prompt. It was like kind of a stealth prompt. It was probably in the back of my mind. That yeah. I do, I do enjoy House of Devil. Sounds like we're comparing this to some other films, which is like making some kind of connections. Mm. So maybe we should move on to connect but let's let's take a short break and we'll be right back. So now it's time for connections where we bring these two films together and talk about all the things they have in common. Boy, you know, it's a massacre. It's in Texas. Uh, uh, it's the 1970s. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of connections here. Well, should we start talking about the setting itself? Like, why, why is Texas such a ripe setting for horror films, uh, or at least these two particular horror films? I mean, I'd say a couple of things. I mean, one, I, I, just the landscape, it's vast and empty in a lot of areas i mean it feels like it feels untamed almost like the outback does in australian <laughs> films it's just it's just it's uh, the, you don't know what sort of pockets of humanity are exist in in, in in such a place and and you feel like once you arrive you can't getting out of it is going to be difficult and so there's that you know and i think it was the aridness of it is uh you know you know appealing and and i think the other element to it is just is cultural it's just is uh you know texas has its own values and and those values i guess are are tend to be associated with conservative values that's something that that x especially kind of uh draws on heavily but um but i think those two those two elements are the the ones that kind of stick out to me yeah, I think the isolation thing we talked about earlier is very relevant here in terms of how spread out everything is. But I also think that there is like just a long time association with the idea that, you know, Texas is kind of America's id. You know, if all of the the New York City movies uh, that we get, especially in the, the Woody Allen, like Heartland era of filmmaking new york city maybe represents the super ego of america you know the the buttoned up elitist intellectualized driven uh, version of america texas is kind of the more like the laid back uh you know go say what you feel go for what you want don't tread on me spot of america and maybe just a place where people feel more comfortable like acting out on their individualistic cowboy desires. In this case, their individualistic uh, cowboy desires to kill because something pissed them off real good. Yeah, I think the individualist aspect and the, you know, the famous short temper. And if you want to make a statement on hypocrisy, like Texas is a really good place for that. <laughs> That's a big state you're slandering there, uh, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing this this film has, these films have in common also is the sense of the economy changing. It's very, it's much more explicit in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But I think also that really great opening shot of the strip club as it kind of nestled in the midst of all these refineries and factory spaces. You know, this is, it's, it's very much a, a, this is not the Texas that these characters, the characters we encounter, the the killer characters we encounter, grew up in. They're 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 out of time. Do these two things play differently in these in these films for you, though? 
I'm trying to remember. I feel like there was a reference to oil refineries on the radio towards mm. the beginning of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Am I wrong about that? There's I mean, a is lot that of bad the... news going on on the radio, but I there have to is, get... there yeah. is, and I feel like uh, I mean, the, uh, I mean, those oil refineries. Of course, the contrast there would be presumably the their employees of this of uh, <laughs> people are employed there on like the, the slaughterhouse in um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Though, though obviously we're we're moving to a, a different location than than Houston, but. I did find that interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know what to even make of make of it. The the uh, uh, in terms of like a shift in the economy, but but obviously that club was not built in that area. That area was built around that club. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it you know that la- the landscape changed changed around that place because uh, it because it does completely uh, not belong uh, there anymore. Which is a marker of the era as well. I mean, this is the type of place, this strip club or burlesque or whatever it is that is on its way out. It's being, you know, smothered by, you know, changes in the in the landscape. It does feel like those, you know, TV or radio or what, whatever it is exactly that we're hearing, the news reports at the beginning of Texas Chainsaw Massacre just kind of have the heavy theme of like everything is terrible. The world is breaking down and people are monstrous and doing monstrous things and, and everything is kind of going wrong everywhere. There's just sort of a sense of, of decay hanging over the film in many, many ways, but that maybe kind of sets it up as it's not just a here problem, it's an everywhere problem. Whereas X kind of feels like it's taking a much more positive approach. You know, we're we're on the the cusp of something. We're about to all be famous. And it's because of the way things are changing. It's because of this new technology. It's because of this new market opening up. It's because we're right here on the edge of uh, like understanding what people want and being able to provide it to them in a new way that we're getting to before everybody else. You know, there there's just a sense between the two movies, the first one kind of feels like change is bad and it's all going downhill. And the second one kind of feels like, yeah, change, if you're not careful, change is going to take you in the wrong direction and you're going to end up someplace you don't want. But at least there's opportunity here. Like, at least if you if you jump on, if you know what you're doing, you, you could get rich and famous. It's like okay. sex is industry, right? You know, a strip club in the middle of an oil field. <laughs> two industries. <laughs> yeah, I think I I think I kind of dispute the your, your premise on this, Tasha, and, and maybe something go something closer to an idea that Keith introduced at the beginning, which is that you know porn chic, you know the the idea of of making a making a lot of money through filming porn in the way that this film within a film is being made, that they're late to that, <laughs> that that is uh, that era has passed, and maybe they do have plans for this new medium to you take this this film that they're making and make them all famous but i, I don't feel like that's the case i feel like they're late uh, you know and they're, they're trying to to um seize on a phenomenon that is going away and and uh this this film is an illustration of 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 them missing the their mark missing the their time they're late and they're naive because there is a whole you know as much as it seems like anyone can do it you know it is there is a whole industry of making this making pornography in Los Angeles that they seem unaware of, or at least un, not thinking about how how overwhelming that would be and how hard it will be to break into that market. Yeah, and and they're not they're not narrative films either. They're they're uh, you know th- that was the, the other the other key change, and that is something that the the film Boogie Nights emphasized was like 
nobody was making narrative porn films anymore. You know, in the age of when VHS started coming along, then that, that, that you were just getting scenes. You know, you weren't getting any kind of narrative material that's we're putting them together. You wouldn't need to like go on location and steal shots and think of embellishments how however ridiculous of a story to make it work you would just throw all that stuff together out all together and just like cut together a bunch of scenes and then then release that on on tape do you think that the audience is meant to get that though like i don't i don't think that any of that is telegraphed in the film and i think you need to know a lot about the the timeline of the porn industry to be aware if they're coming to this phenomenon late like yeah, do but you t- think- tons of films have that kind of background detail without you know underlining it or underscoring it or expect you know and they kind of expect audiences to to either to know it or at least you know just have as part of as part of the fabric of it Right. Like if you know it, that's great. But if you don't, it's not going to it's not like you're not going to understand the film if you don't have that background. But are you all saying that maybe there's going to be some missed opportunities (laughs) later in life? Feel nostalgic (laughs) and wistful for and try to recapture maybe in destructive ways? I mean, most of them aren't uh, don't have enough of a future to regret anything for very long. (laughs) I regret looking through that knot hole is a, probably a very, very short-lived <laughs> regret. Oh, oh man. Oh, that's uh, you stuff. know, a lot of the violence in this film touches on stuff that I find really, you know, uh, disturbing. And I'm sure a lot of people do too, which is hands, violence towards hands and eyeballs. There's something about mm. both of those that's so upsetting. What about, what about gators? Do you, do you find that, <laughs> do you find that disturbing? <laughs> I mean, it's all disturbing, but there's something especially like like (laughs) I wince and look away at scenes of like hands being dismembered. There's something about hands. Oh, yeah, most definitely. All of this just kind of plays into one of the biggest things I wanted to bring up as a connection between these two films, which is how they handle violence. You know, as Katie pointed out in part one of this conversation, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not actually all that gory. You know, uh, today's films, again, I say this uh, naively, perhaps, as somebody who hasn't seen all the sequels, but I'm assuming if the sequels did the meat hook thing, it would involve like a close up of a, a barbed hook going into flesh and like a lot of coming back to that image you're on it for a while mm. and it would be very very gory yeah the there's, especially after 2003 there's a lot of you know bloody mayhem that happens to bodies in texas chainsaw massacre that we just don't see and i don't know that it's because toby hooper is uh, squeamish about it i i think they maybe just didn't have the money to make like prosthetic guts that looked realistic uh, as you know poor franklin is being chainsawed into bits Whereas, my God, do we spend a lot of time on that first kill in X in particular and uh, just just the mechanics of reducing a man's neck to a complete lack of neck and some mush. All set to Blue Oyster Cult. I, <laughs> yeah. It's such an obvious choice, you know, don't fear the Reaper for a slasher scene, but I, I loved it. I don't know. I just I thought it was really cool. It worked. I mean, it's so many. I mean, there's homages within homages. I was thinking about the early scene where Mia Goth is talking in the mirror, and it's kind of a refer- reference to Boogie Nights. And that scene itself was kind of a reference to Raging Bull, which was itself a reference to a scene in On the Waterfront. <laughs> it really is a crazy, you know, crazy re- reflections within reflections with this film, and at least in that part and a couple others. There's got to be some. There's some essay that I, I've been the whole I notion of films 
making reference to other films has been on my mind because every film I see lately is doing that. Like, like that's the, that's what films do now. They kind of like, you know, in their worst, in the worst cases sort of eat their own tail, but then you get something like X or this uh, new Daniels film, which I haven't seen, but which I understand has a lot of, you know, references in it. Oh yes. <laughs> we're all, fe- we're all seem we're all, it all seems quite refreshing and I, I don't, I don't know. So it's interesting to think about like, like, you know what kind of what kind of ripoffs or what kind of homages what's a ripoff and what's homage (laughs) you know what what references do we feel are sophisticated and cool and and are used to create something new and innovative you know and what do what do we think is hackneyed and 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 kind of just trying to get away with basically doing the same thing that some uh, some hit of the past did Uh, x falls in the good part of that equation for me generally but it is ty west's thing to engage with the past as, uh, in a way that he does and, and and so if you were to make that charge against uh him it wouldn't be completely out of the blue it, i mean i think i think that is a problem that people have with his movies is that is that they show off a certain cinephilic you know instinct but don't necessarily add that much more uh to something that already exists i would argue that he adds in the sense of like for example, in X, he uh, like that overhead shot we were talking about. They would not have been able to do that with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That he that in terms of like the types of cameras that are available and lenses mm-hmm. that are available, and just the kind of things that he can pull off visually, that he is adding in that sense. Because there are other directors whose the whole thing is homage. There's a director named Mickey Keating. I don't know if you all have seen any of his films, but hit. He's way more explicit about it than Ty West is, and I like Ty West better as a, as a result. Looping back to violence before we lose the thread there, I do think that there's also just an interesting aspect to the how these two movies separately handle it. Getting away from the the gore aspect, there's also just the foreshadowing. You know, we're we're led by the title of Texas Chainsaw Massacre to expect there's gonna be there's gonna be death and there's gonna be people dying of of chainsaw attack. But that said, that first attack again is very uh, out of nowhere. It's it's so abrupt. It's so shocking because it's so abrupt. You have somebody wandering into a house that's not his under circumstances in a horror movie that you you know that this is a bad idea. You know something's going to happen, but you don't know what because it hasn't been heavily foreshadowed. Whereas I would say that the the deaths in X are are pretty heavily set up from the start. Like by the time you get to the the old lady standing there implacably in the light of the headlights and Don't Fear the Reaper is subtly playing in the background and she's got her hand behind her back. I think you have a pretty good idea of what's coming. You know, I, I just I think that one of these movies does a lot more. I'm not going to say tension building because I do think Texas Chainsaw Massacre is very tense, but a lot more like active teasing of the audience about like something bad's going to happen. Something bad's going to happen right here. You know what's going to happen right here. Yes, yeah, I, I, I was thinking one of the connections between the two movies and one of the one of the big strengths of both movies is that is that they do a great job of hanging out with these characters, and we get so much time before you know anything happens to the, to them. And and um, you know it's it's been a feature of Ty West's films for 
a while. I mean, if you think about not just the House of the Devil, but the innkeepers is just really quite funny. You know, sort of a clerks of sort, uh, you know, kind of a elevated elevated clerks uh, uh, before the mayhem happens there, and and certainly the House of the Devil takes its time, and and um, and uh, in this film and, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre both. They're really good hangout movies in, in their way. Uh, they, you know, we really do get a chance to get to know these characters a, a little bit to, to set the scene, uh, to not really rush to the mayhem. And it kind of gives them a lot of strength. I mean, I guess the, the, the other end of that is that, you know, with, with X, it can, it can seem a little bit mechanical. The fact that like once the killing starts, it, you know, I guess Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the same, is the same way when the, once the killing starts that's that's the film shifts into that and that's what the film is going to be and so so you end up kind of missing all of the kind of qualities that made the made the pre-killing material so good tasha touched on this before but it's kind of a problem with horror movies in general it's like you know you invest in these characters and then they're just kind of dispatched you know i mean it's part of the genre it's unavoidable but but it is if you grow attached to anyone maybe maybe you can grow attached to one of them and it'll pay off in a way that they don't end up dead, but uh, um, not everyone. It varies so much from horror movie to horror movie, though. I mean, I think there's such a, a thin line, like such a difficult balance between, say, the Final Destination movies, where a lot of the characters are just kind of thinly drawn. Like, hey, there's the guy who uh, walks around on his cell phone and is mad that you're not interacting with him while he's when he's not talking to you. Like, hey, there's the girl who clips her nails at work. Like, they're basically just little irritants walking around in human skin. So when they get killed off, you're meant to feel sort of cathartic. Eh, well, you know, she deserved it. She clipped her nails at work. How irritating is that? Also, she had no interiority whatsoever so we don't really care there's there's that aspect or that there's that mode of horror filmmaking where everybody is just sort of a straw man to get picked off and then there's something like psycho where you spend a, a long period of time with somebody who you come to care about and it feels like a tragedy when they die mm. and like finding finding a balance where you can move on with the horror movie and enjoy it as a story, like even though people are dying versus, yeah, no, this is cool. This is a popcorn movie. People are dying and it's funny. You know, that's just it's a it's a hard place to arrive. And like, I think this movie is is good at it. I think I just personally felt just kind of a despair at, OK, well, now we've we've entered the part of the movie that's just about how all of these people, how all of these lives are destroyed. You didn't find them cool kills, though, Tasha. I <laughs> hate that. Like I hate that mentality Style, so stylized, much. Stylized, uh, you know, like the style of certain set pieces and that kind of thing. Even the word "kills" uh, gets my I back know. up. No, I'm just, I'm just plain telling a little. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's something there. I, I, I think you do go to horror movies. I mean, you know, you're you're going to be in deep denial if you say you don't go to horror movies because the prospect of characters being killed isn't part of it. But yeah, I do think the the let's top let's have a kill like no other kill is 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 a fairly detrimental element to horror films. It's, uh, it's boring. I've seen plenty of movies like that, and it's, it's just it's just a slog. Yeah, when I mean, I would much rather you know care about a character and then see them killed because I can always watch the movie again if I want to spend more time with them. You know, he Ooh. does the one thing. Ty West does really 
well, and which is a contrast too with Texas Chainsaw Massacre is 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 much like other Ty West films. He likes to draw out those set pieces and give and and give you you know they 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 tend to take quite a bit of time. They they really feel like fully developed set pieces when when he wants them to be, or or it can be like a bit where you know are you the babysitter in in the House <laughs> of the Devil, and that results that result is quite quick, and that result is a little bit more in line, and you see the I guess a little bit of that variance in Texas Chainsaw Massacre because all of the killings in in that are are not all of them, but a lot of them are quite quick, um and uh but but then you know Sally who who survives is is around and it is in many scenes uh. Where, getting you know tortures tortured and tormenting and finally running free you know i think i guess uh, you know i, I don't know what, what even point i'm making but it, but at least with x and the texas chainsaw massacre um there is some thought given to the each individual person who who loses their life and that, that in some way validates the amount of attention that's been given to them in the opening part of the film which is unusual uh, i would say for a horror film Well, I would say that, you know, um, this is, you know, a throwback movie, but it has very much a modern like perspective and kind of modern values. And you can see that in certain uh, things that he does in the movie. For example, he has equal amounts of male and female nudity. Mm -hmm. Um, And also even the the order that the characters die in. Notice that the men, spoiler alert, (laughs) men get picked off first. And normally that's not necessarily the case. And so I think I I wouldn't go so far as to call it feminist, but I think he's consciously trying to uh, upend the traditional slasher dynamics. And that's something else with, you know, the the idea of the final girl and, you know, Jenna Ortega, like you're saying, when she's first introduced as the obvious final girl because she's the the prude of the group right and then he's consciously playing with that and upending your expectations he's also uh very obviously aware of the the black guy always dies first uh dynamic yeah that haunted horror movies for well, so just long you just can't get away with you know i think they also thought of is like i can't get away with doing this again <laughs> this thing that this thing that has been done, that is a this this thing that's a this this thing that's a cliche you have to like you have to kind of stamp that out or or lampoon it lampshade it in some way which you know Do some have done yeah. whatever it is you can't just like walk into it uh walk into it blind because your audience is more savvy than that at this point and i appreciate for example though how savvy how the the way x is self-conscious and savvy versus the way say the new scream is self-conscious and savvy right that movie drove me nuts because it it does expect you know viewers to be familiar with with horror movie vocabulary but there there are so many shots in that not to digress too much but there's so many moments in that movie where it's like they're going to close the the bathroom mirror and there's going to be the killer behind it except you know there's not because you're used to it so you're going to expect it but we're going to do it a billion times until you think it's going to happen i don't know uh maybe it's time to just maybe just shut down horror movies for a little bit and everyone can take a break and then they <laughs> can feel fresh again well with, they can keep making movies like x you know i mean sure. like I, I i agree with what you're saying that you know the the way that the the meta aspects of these things fold in on themselves can get extremely tiresome but i thought that this one i didn't find it tiresome at all the sort of balance between you know reference and update and you know um 70s versus uh uh the what do we call these the 2020s the 20s (laughs) 
also, every time I think, eh, all right, maybe I'm just tired of watching people die for entertainment. Uh, every time I think that, you know, something like uh, Get Out comes along and I'm, I'm completely back on board for horror movies. Oh, they're great. We've talked about uh, we've we've touched on Final Girls. We've touched on uh, like who dies and in, in what order in these movies. I feel like we can't really close this out without talking about the finales of these two movies in comparison and how they're both about uh, spoiler alert. Both of them have a final girl who who runs and acts and gets away in the end. But the tones are very, very different around that. And I, I do think that a little bit of that is speaking to that in, in X is like speaking to that meta aspect of understanding that your, your film gets pretty dispiriting if everybody dies, like the final girl has to escape, but there's a bitterness to it. You know, the way that she survives may be cathartic. I could, I could kind of anticipate people cheering that in a, a certain kind of midnight movie crowd. But at the same time, like she drives off, like just snarling to herself about what she deserves and, and the life that she's going to get. And we know that everything that she had on her plate that might have led to that life has been taken away at this point. And she's just, you know, she's just this girl who's now a murderer, uh, a happy murderer, a self-satisfied murderer, who's like driving off into the night, like bragging about the great things that she's destined for. And it, it feels like history is probably going to repeat itself there. Whereas with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I mean, to me, that ending is just uh, like it's it's waking up from a nightmare. You know, that that sense when you have a really bad one and you wake up and think, oh, thank God that wasn't that wasn't real. You can see her just at the very, very edges of, of waking up from the nightmare, like realizing that she's she's actually escaped this situation. And it is cathartic. It is relieving. You know, it is a, a comfort in a way that horror movies can sometimes be, at least to me. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> yeah, the, the final scene is, is, I mean, you can't really, I mean, we are all about comparing things, but it's almost unfair to compare X to the final scene of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is just one of the great endings to uh, any movie, I think, really. I, and and it's, it's just one of the... Yeah, I think you're right. I think waking up for a nightmare is exactly the feeling. It is one of the few instances. I mean, horror in some ways, you know, according to some theorists, is about catharsis. And so, but it's really the one of the few times I've really felt a true sense of catharsis watching a horror movie. It's like this person that we've been, you know, very tight with has escaped and escaped in a way where she's conveying this emotion that's kind of beyond relief, beyond, you know, it kind of there is a sort of almost a kind of a mocking quality to, to have got, haven't gotten away from this killer. I mean, it's amazing stuff, but you know, I, I don't know another uh, film that could top that. The performance in that scene is uh, like, yeah, it's like you said, it's beyond relief. It's yeah. I love her performance in that moment. The end of X, the thing I have to say most about it is there's a fun, very sick little joke towards the end of that movie that, I snickered. I, I guffawed at it in the theater. <laughs> Which is? When the the villain, the Mia Goth as the old lady, she gets blown out the back door, out the screen door by the mm -hmm. shotgun. She goes flying out. I laughed. I thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no that is kind here. of your catharsis moment, I think, more so than her her actual death. Yeah, I think so, too. There's also... Building and building and building, and then all of a sudden... Psh, 
you know, there's also like the the end of X feels definitive. You know, the the bad guys, the bad people are dead. We've actually already seen the aftermath, so there's no chance of a uh, like a descent style gotcha or anything like that at the end. Uh, we know that that she gets away. We know that everything becomes normal after that because the cops show up and and begin the process of uh, taking it all apart and trying to add up what happened. But the end of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is just Leatherface dancing in the the middle of the road with his chainsaw. And you don't know what he's experiencing at that moment. Like he he seems to be experiencing like a kind of like almost a demented joy or maybe it's oh, rage. No. He's, you can't he's see his mad. face. Yeah, he's, unha- he's, unhappy. He, he's, he's, he's mad. Mm, I don't know. I, I think the fact that you you that he's a force of chaos that you can't fully understand and and can't fully get into the skin of is is part of what makes that ending so amazing like so memorable is just like watching this uh watching this man dance in the street with a chainsaw it's just the sun part of it though just mm-hmm. the, just the choreography of that dance and then the sun you know it's just it's just a special moment i don't know you know <laughs> it, it also feels like it also feels kind of not an example of Kubrickian control. It feels spontaneous <laughs> and kind of like it feel it, it feels like an you know an artful accident. Uh, though though I feel like it's been made to feel like an artful accident because there's an artist behind the camera. Uh, but uh, I like that. I, I was kind of curious. Are we to make anything of the fact that the that the truck driver who 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 pull, pulls over for her as black is the racial element of that important in some way or or not? I would find it more important if he was the one who actually saved her. As it is, he He has to run away. (laughs) The last you see of him is him just realizing, yeet the hell out of there. He he does not want to be in this situation. And (laughs) I I would too. Fuck this. I'm out of here. (laughs) That's true. But you note that that the, the driver doesn't give him any consideration. Sally doesn't give him any consideration. Like they don't. Well, they drive in a in a different direction from him, I believe, and he just runs away. He just runs off screen. We don't he, see him. He again. just he's he just, just gone. Gets the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah. He's fine. He's gets back in the truck. He's fine. Oh, he's fine. Now, I I, I, I I will say I don't think she could have survived without him though. She doesn't necessarily he doesn't necessarily save her, but there's a, a, a I don't think her escape is possible without his um his role. Well, that's certainly yeah. true. What an interesting what an interesting ending. The whole, all of everything that happens, the the hitchhiker guy, guy being run over. It's just there's so there's a, a lot going on in the ending of that f- the film. Just the ch- and just like the, the just the the s- scene of the sequence of them just chasing her. You know, she she doesn't have a lot. You know, she's she's run through her second big plate glass window <laughs> in the movie. You know, she's been tortured this entire time. She doesn't have a whole lot of energy left in the in, in her legs, and just to, to see her kind of move, stumbling slowly towards the road as as she's being chased by you know certainly the the young man much faster than she is. That is really that's tense. That's well done. There's another another great moment when she does break through that window, and it's and it's morning, which was like in a sense that maybe there is some hope here. That, yeah, that, that it's not an endless night that she'll, from which she'll never escape. This certainly is Texas Chainsaw Massacre certainly is a movie that believes in like the human will to survive no matter what what people go through. Katie, how does X uh, work for you in terms of processing anxiety or managing anxiety? How, how I want to hear the comparison between those two in that regard. 
is on a pretty similar wavelength. It's just the whole idea is that when the movie gets really intense, it's this um, it's like when when you have a cramp and you in, in your in your leg and you tense up the muscle and then when you let it go, it lets go. That's the effect I get from really intense horror movies. Hmm. And was this one intense enough to pull it off? And what happens a lot is I laugh. So if we're ever at a screening and I'm like just <laughs> laughing and laughing during some really sick part of a horror movie, I'm having a cathartic emotion. <laughs> I'm not a serial killer, I swear. <laughs> mm, sounds like serial killer talk to me. <laughs> well, on that note, with one of our guests declaring that she's not a, not a serial killer, somewhat convincingly, well, this, we can't really go much further than that. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is available for rent via various digital streaming services. It's also streaming on Showtime and Shudder, and it's available on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, X is currently in theaters. I just want all of you to know, if I show up serial killed, you'll, you'll know who did it. <laughs> That's it for this edition of The Next Picture Show. Tasha, why don't you tell us about our next episodes? And they'll be coming out April 12th and April 19th. The new movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, by Swiss Army Man writer-directors Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, comes pretty close to living up to its ambitious title. It's a science fiction movie starring Michelle Yeoh as a harried laundromat owner who discovers there are infinite universes and that she's the best chance of saving them all from a conquering evil. But it's also a kick-ass martial arts movie, and a family drama, and an absurdist comedy, and a wild experimental special effects blowout, and a philosophical treatise on love, relationships, responsibility, and the meaning of life. So obviously we wanted to talk about this movie, but where do you look in cinema history for something this unprecedented, especially when you've already done The Matrix? So we went in a different direction, looking through films of the past that addressed the multiverse concept in ways more of their era. We landed on Krzysztof Kozlowski's Blind Chance, completed in 1981, but suppressed by the Polish government, eventually released in a censored form in 1987, and finally released with the censored sections restored. The precursor to films like Sliding Doors and the recent Next Picture Show entry Run Lola Run, Blind Chance tells three consecutive stories about a young man whose life takes wildly different turns based on whether he catches a specific train at a certain moment in his life. It's more political than everything everywhere, but it's just as philosophical and just as concerned about the idea of a possibility. Like Everything Everywhere All at Once, Kieslowski's Blind Chance takes the perspective that every choice and every moment of chance creates its own branching world, which might lead in radically different directions. We'll explore some of those directions next time on The Next Picture Show. For now, we welcome your feedback on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. X and anything else film-related you'd like to talk about, email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net and come talk to us on Patreon, where you'll find feedback letters and discussion. Before we close out this week, Katie, uh, where can we find you these days? Well, I am freelancing currently. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rife with Katie. And my work has been showing up regularly on RogerEbert.com and in Polygon. How about you, Scott? I'm on Twitter at, at Scott underscore Tobias. Uh, you can find my work in the uh, New York Times, uh, Guardian, Vulture, and other fine publications. I am also, along with our, our co-host, uh, our host today, Keith Phipps, uh, we uh, have The Reveal, which is our newsletter. Uh, you can find that at thereveal.substack.com. Tasha? I am the film and streaming editor at polygon.com. Uh, you can find my writing there and you can find me editing and uh, presenting my babies like uh, that Texas Chainsaw Massacre piece or like uh, film writing from one Katie Reif. You can find me on Twitter at Tasha Robinson. Keith, what about you? 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at KFIPS3000. As Scott mentioned, I'm uh, one of the two writers, Scott's the other one, of The Reveal, thereveal.substack.com. I'm freelancing all over the place these days. You can find my writing at such places as GQ, The Ringer, Vulture, TV Guide. Those are the main places. And I also have a book. It's in stores now called Age of Cage. It's about the films of Nicolas Cage and also how filmmaking has changed over the course of Nicolas Cage's career. Uh, I will probably talk about that again at some point. You can stay updated on the Next Picture Show at, at nextpictureshow.net and on Twitter at, at nextpicturepod. Get bonus content and open discussion at patreon.com slash nextpictureshow. And as always, we appreciate your rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks to Dan the Bake Jakes for his assistance in producing the podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the film spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time.